1: Welcome back to the show. Today, we have Alfred Boyages. He's the CEO and co-founder of Foresight. Alfred, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, how you going?
1: I'm, I'm very well. Yourself?
2: Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Enjoying the, the sunny California weather. wish sure. I was on my bike. But,
1: uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's some beautiful landscapes to, uh, to to ride in, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, especially up in like Skyline and stuff. Like sure. pretty cool roads, got to say. Yeah. Sh-
1: sure. So before we get into everything that you guys are doing at Foresight, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in uh, Sydney's inner west, so Sydney, Australia. Um, it was in kind of like the, the poorer sort of um, areas in, in Sydney. Um, yeah, like I grew up next to a, next to a river. Um, and um, often was around like cars and motorbikes and stuff. Um, and I Used to work on them with with my dad actually. Interesting. Uh, so yeah.
1: Very cool. So you went to university. What did you take and why?
2: At a at an earlier age, I always liked building things and just you know okay. inventing stuff, drawing pictures, things like that. Um, you know when I was in when I was in high school, um, I built an electric saxophone, which oh, actually. <laughs> Um, was, was, um, I just built it out of like electronic parts that I kind of found around and that one, like the, I was like, the, I was ranked the number one person in Australia, um, out of high school, um, for design and technology. Very cool. So like, um, from there I was like, Oh, maybe I'm good at doing inventing and building things. <laughs> so, um, I enrolled in the industrial design program at the university of New South Wales, um, And there I designed a whole bunch of cool things and really enjoyed highlighting my skills there. Um, I ended up graduating from there in uh, 2012 um, with with first-class honours from my class. So it was an industrial design and mechanical engineering degree. Um, And from there, I uh, ended up getting a job um, in a very boring uh, structural engineering firm as <laughs> my first job out of university. All right. Um did that for a couple of years, you know, learned the ropes of corporate stuff and thought, you know, wasn't really for me. Um I kept getting into arguments with management about how they should do things and like new ideas and stuff, but I kept getting shut down and was like, you're not senior enough to, you know, make those types of decisions. So, you know, I quit that job um and ended up working in branding. So did a lot of marketing and branding branding work um, for uh, for liquor agencies, oh, and I thought that was fun, and that was like more of a creative side. But I felt I wasn't really engineering anything or inventing anything um, for humanity or like you know something I could you know build a legacy on. So you know I quit that job uh, and then got a job with Intellectual Ventures, which is um, I think is one of Bill Gates' um, venture um, venture fund slash. Um, design for me kind of okay, cool. so started working for them and like i really started to see how like building ip building hardware building software together um kind of meld into something really really cool and i thought you know i could probably do this myself but you know worked there for about two years um and that's when i uh i experienced my um my motorcycle accident and um you know, I went around a corner, oh, well, actually two. So I had a motorcycle accident at university when I was um, doing my final year of university. And that led me to, to first building what the idea of Foresight was um, as like a police helmet, actually. That was oh, about reducing reaction times for police officers and being able to see things before they happen and everything. Um, that that university project won um, Red Dot Design Award and won Dyson Award. Um wow, a whole bunch of others. huge. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I won essentially every design award there was uh, (laughs) as a a graduating student. Um, And I was the top of my, very top of my class. So, um, you know, that that got me um, a lot of uh, good jobs to begin with. And essentially I had another motorcycle accident after I left Intellectual Ventures. And I was like, damn it, you know, I went through like an oil slick and really messed my bike up and messed my knee up uh, in the process. And I was just so angry at like, you know, click on cameras and concept concept things and um how there was like no technology on, on the bike itself like you would find in a car and like can't use the phone and there was just all this stuff that could have stopped this particular accident from happening. So I incorporated a company called Foresight Helmet Systems uh, and teamed up with a with a friend of mine who was coming back from Hong Kong, Julian Chow, who's our co-founder. And um, you know, we got a whole bunch of uh, investors on board that um yeah, actually you know pushed us towards doing a snow sports helmet which i know sounds really really odd but we thought you know that's the that's the low-hanging fruit let's do that first but we totally underestimated underestimated that market space and um you know i would i would classify it as like a you know a market didn't have the product market fit um when we put it out there simply because we didn't um fully understand that market correctly and we were kind of not really passionate 100% about building that product. We just wanted to get to the motorcycle product. So three years went by of us building that um, with the with some investors. Um, ultimately, didn't work out sales wise, and we ended up selling the IP um, to a big sporting agency uh, in the US, who ended up incorporating it into a training system. And money from that we used to uh, design the first motorcycle good. And at the time. I was out um uh drinking in Sydney um and I, I met a guy named Takashi Kayeda, who's the CEO of um you know, Yamaha Motor Group Australia right. now. Um yeah, so just as like a coincidence he That's cool. our product. He thought it was really cool and everything, but it needed it needed some work in like the trends inside the the industry, so he ended up becoming my mentor uh, along the process. We spent the next um, year and a half designing the foresight mark one um helmet and software system um <clears throat> up until its launch uh last month um which um within within 48 hours we had sold 700 of them
0: wow um, congrats that's we,
2: huge yeah <laughs> the next week um the next couple of days we essentially sold The rest of them doing a tour all around australia our website crashed when we launched we had five thousand people in a private facebook group as the community and like the biggest piece of advice i could ever give is bring your customers along for the journey um in the best way possible is like just through a private facebook page and um you know let them know what you're doing like let them know when they're going to launch let them know everything like bring them along for that journey and what happened was it was just like this explosion when we, when we launched in Australia. Um, and over the period of two day, a two day weekend, we rented out a racetrack. Um, we had people come and try out the helmets. We had uh, and there's videos of this all on YouTube. Um, we had a thousand people show up over two wow. days. I had lines of people down the, down the street waiting to see this helmet and they were just coming in. They were just buying it. Like they're just looking at it, checking the out, and buying it. And I was like, wow! Like people really want want this, and like um, it was really refreshing as an entrepreneur because um, like we were out there on the track with like covered in grease and smelled like gasoline, you know, at like <laughs> six o'clock in the morning after website crash, you know, these guys bringing us Red Bull and like um, yeah, we didn't really know what we were doing, um, but at the end of the day, like we we had a flow of how we demonstrate this to customers. Anyway, we went around Australia to all the major dealerships, um, got them all on board, show all the customers around Australia. Um, the first thousand units we sold were called Founders Editions.
0: Okay. So um,
2: yeah, so we put all these people into a new club called the Founders Club.
0: Makes so
2: you know, I like to think of ourselves as a thousand-person um, so well, with a thousand founders of our of our company, and I really treat those guys as I would, you know, like uh, which is super important for your early customers of taking that. That ownership in what you guys are doing, because um, when they they meet someone that rides a motorbike, they are really happy to explain you know, the product and everything. So, so yeah, that's where I'm at now.
0: Very cool.
1: So, I, I want to dive a little bit deeper into the technology that you guys have actually put into the helmet mm. and how that connects to an app on your phone. Do you want to walk us through? Uh, how that works and the features in, inside the helmet and, and inside the app?
2: Yeah, sure. So we're a mobility um, um, safety technology company. And we have like a two part system or well, three part system actually so um the first part is our um, our data system and navigation um through the app and then there's the helmet, which is like our first product into the into the market which pairs with that so you can actually use the app without the helmet uh independently and the third part is our back end service system where there's a level of um the machine learning technology which takes place there um the helmet itself uh imagine a a carbon fiber full-faced um, helmet, um, quite slick. Look, looks a little bit like a like an X lite or AGV, if you know, if you know helmets. Um, inside the chin bar is a, a camera, a camera system. The chin bar is like the jaw of the helmet. There's a camera system, uh, and that camera system is connected to a whole bunch of little accelerometers and sensors. Um, so when you pick the helmet up. It automatically starts recording, uh, recording video mm-hmm. and tracking your location through the app. Yeah, and where that's like really useful is like for insurance, um, you know, and, and um, making sure that the camera is on uh, when you go for a ride, and not really worrying about whether it's on or off. Um, the ability to upload that information uh, to the cloud for safe storage is something we're working on as well. Um, then, like, imagine you put the the helmet on um, for the first time, uh, just below your your periphery vision, there's what you would see in like a Formula One car steering wheel, like a little bunch of like a bunch of little lights underneath uh underneath a waveguide. Okay. And what happens is as you're riding around, if there's like police in the area, speed cameras, hazards ahead, um, anything that will be even bad weather, right? Have been reported uh into our app by us or by our customers. Um or if there are open source apis out there, uh, we pull that information in, and those lights flash different colors and patterns um, and give you different audio uh, depending on what's happening uh, around you at the time. so all you have to do is put the helmet on, go out for a ride, automatically starts recording video, automatically starts looking for things that may be interesting to you um, so if you're on a you know, super sports bike and you tend to go faster, it's automatically going to start like telling you um, about police in the area through ways or like um, you know, speed cameras, or it'll even take you to roads that are more suited to a super sports bike. So, Interesting. Um, yeah, So, the, the little lights inside the helmet, they actually like, if you go for it, like, let's say we're doing navigation, um, they'll actually go from uh, you know, right to left or left to right um, in like an orange pattern telling you to turn left here or turn right there or view right or on a highway. Because like at speed, like all these augmented reality style um, products, which we've seen in the past kind of come out of the Bay Area um, in in helmets, are actually like in my opinion and our team's opinion, they're very dangerous and distracting um, at high speed, especially if you're on a high powered motorcycle. So we went down the path of like creating a technology that was from from motorsport and used in motorsport and reappropriated it for um for motorcycling and for road use. So in a nutshell, the mobile application itself had like a when you first boot it up, there's like a, a navigation screen um, like you would see inside a, a Tesla. Uh it looks sure. very similar to that. Then it it, pop, it scans the area for things that are interesting to you up to twenty five kilometers, which I think is uh, my conversion to miles isn't so great, so I won't say anything um, mm-hmm. <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, so all these little icons, which look like uh, like Grand Theft Auto style looking icons, will populate down onto the map, um, and they'll mean all different things um, that are of stuff that's happening around you. And every couple of uh, milliseconds, it will refresh and ping our server system and repopulate that data um, onto the map. Um, also in the map in the app, sorry, uh, there's video editing tools. Um, And something really interesting about our video editing is it actually uses a map as the time signature um, to the video. So if you have like uh, five or six hours of video, you're not going to want to like try to remember a time point where something may have happened in front of you. You'll use the map, like and as writers, we're we're really used to using maps. And I can remember where that corner is versus like a photographer who. Um, can remember time signatures and puts markers and stamps uh, in those. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty much what it is. Um, you know, we we launched the product um, in US dollars. Uh, we priced it at five hundred and forty nine dollar introductory price, and that okay. came with like, a handlebar controller and uh, a few extra visors. We even give it. We were partnered with um, MV Augusta, uh in Australia, so we gave away MV Augusta Brutale Double R, which is a quite an exotic um, Italian bike as part of the draw for the first thousand as well. Um, wow. so we we plan to do a similar thing over here. Um so with five forty nine uh introductory price. Um the the retail price of this helmet is nine hundred and forty nine, making it the only um well ECE certified and the only um smart helmet in the middle class category. So you know you have your super high end augmented reality type stuff which is like you know, 14 dollars seventeen ninety nine, Um 17 And then you have like your lower end, like sort of center momentum style products, which are, um, you know, around the, the $600, uh, $600 mark, but don't have this level of functionality. And we sit right, right in the center.
0: Gotcha. And that's
2: where we feel like that's the gap. That's the gap in the market. And that's what riders want is like that affordability. Like, you know, there's an old saying, I think it came from um, Henry Ford. And it's like, you know, there's no point taxing a seatbelt right so Mm -hmm. um, like yeah yeah so if you really the the core point of the business is to help people and you know save riders like um it shouldn't be expensive like i feel that you know all the engineering we did to make the product and the hardware actually quite affordable um it sort of paid off in a way uh and put all the functionality in the software versus um investing deeply in very complex hardware
0: interesting
1: smart so you quickly covered it, but I, I want to dive into, you have like a, a finger control piece. How does that work and where does that sit on the bike?
2: Yeah, so there's like, imagine like a, a little a little triangle um, looking uh, button array. And there's one, two, three. So there's three buttons on each corner uh, and one in the center. And there's two little ones on the side um, for volume to control volume and skip tracks and music. Right. Um, this goes gets gets situated and i'll tell you what the button's in a sec this gets situated on the handlebar um there's a handlebar mount that goes next to your clutch um so just it's just above your clutch or just below your clutch depending on uh, what type of bike you ride and it's very easily accessible with your thumb Um, you can unscrew that and then screw that onto a tank mount Um, if you have a a bike that has really uh, close fairings or full face fairings on it. Um, on their handlebar controller itself, there's a camera icon, uh, and that camera icon turns the camera on and off. Um, if you hold down the camera icon, it actually uh, wipes all the footage off the SDXC card, which is inside the, the helmet, which is removable and replaceable. Um, there's, a, yeah, there's, a, there's a phone, um, little phone icon, obviously like would answer and deny phone calls, um, there's a map icon. Um, the map icon is something really unique to our system. And what that does is if you press the map icon once, uh, what it does is it re- repeats the last navigation to you and fires the LED array again. So if you like, you just missed it because someone cut you off, you're like, well, wh- when was the next corner or I've forgotten you press that and it repeats the last thing again to you. Cause often when you're out on the road, um, especially on a motorcycle, there's just so much happening around you that you can miss um, voice like very right. easily. So, um, So that does it again. If you hold down the map icon, uh, what it does is it drops a pin on the map and takes a uh, voice recording up to 30 seconds um, and leaves it on the map for for 30 minutes. So uh, if there's like a downed tree or like, you know, say for example, you're riding in a group of people and the the first person in the group has the foresight app, um, they drop a pin saying, hey, you know, there's a police car behind a billboard up here. Make sure everyone slows down, right? right. Um, every single person in that group now will hear that message from that person up that's the front uh, as they go through that area. So that's the, like, that, that sort of community thing. You know, Even if it's not a police car, it could be like a down tree. Like, you know, there's a down tree here or a pothole right. or a bit of oil on the road. And all those riders will hear it um, for the next 30 minutes. Um, so, like, for example, Waze, um, you have to you enter it in on your phone. So if you're a driver, that's, I guess, okay. Um but like when you're a rider, it's like next to impossible to take your mobile phone out and do that kind of stuff. So um like you could you could see us as the sort of ways of ways of motorcycling, you know. Um Yeah. So other than that, the last thing um is in the center, there's a, a button. Uh you press the center button, turns the music on and off, uh but if you hold it down, it actually um activates Siri or Alexa on your phone. Um so you can do your own little voice command stuff um through phone or local. Um other than that, um the helmet has uh peer-to-peer communication over VoIP, so and twenty meter communication close range and over Bluetooth, so you are able to um talk to friends uh through the chat group inside the app. Um where this gets like super interesting is five or four side helmet and I'm riding around. And I find another person with a foresight helmet and I pull, up, I pull up next to them at the lights. It'll ask me if I want to talk to them. And oh, you like, "Hey, you know, this person wants to talk to you. It's like, yeah, I want to talk to this person. And then it'll set up the link. So by by pushing all that into our app and our software, um, we've actually been able to um, create functionalities that are really intuitive and like super automated uh, versus really hard to set up old school Bluetooth systems which are out there on the market now.
1: Interesting. No, very cool. That That's awesome. So I, I'm curious, though, to go through – obviously, you built a, a helmet for a different – and a vertical. How much of that technology and research that you guys did and maybe even some of the prototypes, could you move into Ooh. the motorcycle space? Did you have to basically start from scratch? Could you take parts of it or or walk us through actually no, getting not- a first few prototypes yeah. of a motorcycle helmet?
2: You know, we, we built, like, countless prototypes. I had boxes in my garages, you know, hundreds of different ways that you could build a smart helmet. And I, I swear that I've built, like, almost every sort of competitor's version like, at some point um, and tested it out on the road and going, like, no, nah, that won't work. Because, um, like, business model-wise, you have to make it work as well. And assembly-wise and assembly time and um, shipping and, like, there's so many factors when it comes into designing a product. And that's, like, my my sort of background so um anyway like when we built the snow sports um helmet you know it was a we learned a lot about impact forces around camera systems and we learned that you can't put a uh, lithium polymer or lithium ion battery in there it has to be ceramic and there's a company called um prologium over in the u uh, sorry over in taiwan that we work with um, that does ceramic batteries and i'm um, I think a few competitors have picked up on like that has to happen so you know we, we found that technology we tested it you know that worked really well um so that got incorporated uh the way that we designed the circuit boards uh the pcb boards and um the way that they're assembled into the helmet was not done in vain so we kind of became like experts in building uh wearable technology that was for very high impact and was super light and right. that that learning um, was very easily carried across to the um, to the motorcycle product. So, like, we did this like really crazy looking three D printed uh, <laughs> motorcycle helmet that we designed from from scratch, and we were like, "Oh, this thing is like badass! Like, this is the, the coolest thing since sliced bread. Let's do a Kickstarter." And I was like, "You know, I said I said to the team like, at the time we were like three people, like, you know, let's just chill out. Let's go out riding with this thing.'" And and see if it actually <laughs> works. <laughs> sure. um, and it, it, it was terrible. It didn't work at all. Like it was, it was <laughs> overheated. Like because like the camera system was at the top. It was too heavy. It was not aerodynamic. Like as soon as I went over like 100 kilometers an hour, it just starts shaking. And like, man, we don't know much about building the helmet. So like, <laughs> so <laughs> building a helmet is like its own art. Like we could do tech all day, and like, but we don't know much about the helmet. So you know, like, we need to find a big um first of all a motorcycle brand to point us in the right direction of what type of technology we should put it uh, like a yamaha which we found um and now we need to find the biggest like manufacturer in asia who builds helmets for like all of these brands to help us do the helmet yeah so we got some tickets and we went over to taiwan um and we found this uh, manufacturer which I actually can't name uh over there but those japanese goods as well so we thought that was a really good fit for us Interesting. um we ended up buying buying the rights to a shell design. Um, then we modified that shell design uh, to suit our, our needs and then got yeah. it all recert- recertified um, for our technology, which goes inside. So that's how we were able to take a product from a sketch to market in about a year and a half.
0: Wow. Um, which is really fast, we actually.
2: Were. Yeah, it's super rapid because it's like we're not doing any learning anymore. Like, we've right. done all that. Like, we've we've built all the broken ones. Like, we've done all the <laughs> things. It's like, it's like, okay, this is exactly what it needs to do. We know what it needs to do. We know how much it needs to be. We know how fast you need to assemble it. Like, you know, we want no flex cables in it. Like, we, we want the battery to be um, like a dual system, dual battery system in the front. We want it to be non-flammable. We want it to take impact. Like, so we just got straight into designing it that way. Um, so, ooh
1: interesting and then obviously you guys had to build uh the little hand controller that sits on on the handlebars and then you had to basically build software that connected the three things together so walk us through that journey
2: yeah so um we're looking at a guy on board named joe and he, he became our um, our cto and he has a background in consumer, well, consumer electronics but he's a Pretty hardcore um, computer scientist, so he's okay. got like uh, you know about almost 30 years of experience uh, in computer science. So, um, and so he was back in the day, you know, with when the first Macintoshes kind of came out, <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. back then. So, um, but he's he's really um, you know, intuitive when it comes to building different different platforms that communicate to one another and that whole IoT style um, backend uh full, full stack. Uh, like, for example um inside the handlebar controller there's a, a nordic chip and the nordic chip um is a very generic uh like bluetooth chip that you would find in a lot of wearable technology um and that speaks one language so <laughs> inside the helmet there's a there's a chip which is from a, a well known um, uh camera manufacturer and that speaks another language and then there's another board which speaks three different languages with three different other components <laughs> so um inside so like what 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 essentially happens is there's a lot of translation sure. um, between all, all four systems that happen. And we're kind of writing our own sort of language that um, communicates in a really like, sort of robust um, manner. Um, but one thing is, that was definitely for certain was there was no uh, SIM card in the helmet. So we had to use 4G and 5G to pull the data in. Um, before someone goes out into a low reception zone we have to save that data before they leave automatically right. um, we need to know if the helmet has been picked up or moved for for conserving uh, battery life and turning the camera on and off and the Bluetooth connectivity needed to be both um, long range and short range but not let the customer um, connect like have to sit there and connect five different devices you know what I mean like it needed to be
0: yeah.
2: one channel like and that's where it got really difficult is because this in essence, um, this product is predominantly uh, connectivity. And anyone that's done wearable tech will, will understand very quickly that um, connectivity is key. Like, if you don't have good connectivity, the product fails in a yeah. lot of its like functionality. So you know, that's where we spent almost too much time, like, trying <laughs> yeah. to get all that to work. Antenna design is, like, a nightmare. And, like, different materials radiate different frequencies. Um, it's very difficult to design that so close to the head because you have uh, electromagnetic fields, right. things like that. Um, so we needed to design it in a way where it radiated away from the head um, but could also connect at distance, so it needed a high gain. Uh, and the higher the gain, the, the higher the uh, EMF. So um, it actually astonished us that you know we're, we're using about 10 decibels of gain um, on our Bluetooth system to connect the helmets together at long range and we're getting about twenty, thirty meters of range. Um and like on like a, a click on um headset, you they're they're running like almost twenty decibels of gain, which is like double the legal sort of uh, limit to get to that one point two kilometer range. However, it sits away from the head outside of the shell. Um so it's not actually within the same category and standard as well, what we're doing. So, um, <laughs> so we're kind of limited by design, gotcha. um, to, to, what we did. Yeah. Um, I think, um, did that answer your question or did I just waffle on No, much? no, I, I it, it's interesting <laughs>
1: because the, the thing is just trying to figure out where to put antennas and have something that can withstand obviously being in an accident, mm. like just mm. that alone has got to be challenging.
2: Oh, absolutely. It's, it's incredibly like um, difficult to get something you'd think is... I kind of, what, what I learned very quickly about product design is, um, you know, someone will say, oh, we'll just put speakers in this, or like, yeah, we'll just do this, we'll just do that. And like, they underestimate the sheer difficulty of doing something really simple, really well. Um, like, and I think Apple does that fantastically. Like, you know, the new Apple Watches, like the way they connect and stay connected and get connected in the background, automatically disconnect is like no one really notices them doing that, which is fantastic because that's how a good wearable should be. Um, and we were taking that similar philosophy of like it doing everything sort of for you in the background and all you're thinking is, yeah, it's all connected. It's all working. It's exactly what you want yeah. um, as a customer. Yeah. Well, I,
1: I think what people don't realize about software and especially hardware The easier it is for the user, the harder it was to design and build. Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> and the longer it <laughs> like took fit, right like,
2: fit, like like you know i fit bit with three little lights on it you know that that vibrates like a little bit when you you know you, you hit your goal for the day yeah that was the first product that ever did that the amount of like engineering that went into making that simple yeah is it would be mind-boggling yeah so like, yeah. You know, like a complex product with a whole bunch of engineering like a self-driving car you know, like that's got so much technology inside, so much like LiDAR systems and uh, computer vision systems and like um, neural networking systems and like, you know, all of that stuff. Like when I think about it, it like, um, you know, gives me gives me nightmares of like how that would <laughs> fail if it could fail. So like I'm very fearful of self-driving vehicles sure. as a motorcyclist because I know what's going on. Like I'm like, oh, no. You know, if I if I run behind a tree or something and uh, the lidar doesn't pick me up, I'm going to die. <laughs> so like, um, you know, and that's where we we come to now. Like, you know, you have this whole emergence of like self driving vehicles and transportation. It's just yeah. a massive sector, and like motorcycling is a like forty seven billion dollar market um, per year just in premium motorcycles uh, across the world. And you know, where does that? It, that's being totally kind of neglected. Um, so what happens when there's self-driving cars everywhere? Like where does it leave the the guy on the Ducati who still yeah, wants to ride it? Um, you know what I mean? Like
0: Yeah. Yeah,
2: the detection gets really good, but um, you know, how do we alert these self-driving cars of the locations of um motorcycles or scooters? Now, if you think right. of like over in the over in the third world, like um like Asia and Indonesia and um, you know, parts of China and stuff like when the self-driving cars go over there, I'm sure you've been over there before, like it's just a mess of like scooters and bikes and stuff. So two wheel transportation is really like the number one thing that, that happens over there. And, like everyone has a scooter, like it's a it's a yeah. normal thing, but they can't necessarily, you know, afford a helmet. So like what we thought was like, if you download our app and you report this information about the location of like, you know, what's where these accidents are, and road traffic movement, we have everyone using our app to kind of earn a helmet at like 10,000 kilometers. We'd happily give you a helmet in return for that that information. So that information would mean that you could feed that to the self driving car network. Like um it's like, okay, so how do I implement the new Tesla in Indonesia? like it's next to it's next to impossible, right? Um, because all the computer vision and LiDAR systems are just would be just going off the charts at like the amount of scooters. So the Foresight app, if everyone has that uh, in their pocket, that could actually communicate to the car the location of all these people that are around it. So, um, and that brings me to like this whole thing about privacy. And I I think we could kind of talk about that for (laughs) for days, um, but we don't track like people's location, um, unless they allow us to, um, and we're not doing that today. So, um, yeah.
1: No, interesting. Yeah. There's a bunch of issues that people don't think about and you're right. You would basically have to notify the self-driving car that, you're coming up to it, or you're around it, is the only real safe way to do it. Uh, or well, it's and it's probably not even a hundred percent, right? So, yeah, interesting. Yeah,
2: like a, I always thought, like, you know, everyone has a mobile phone um, on them, right? And I'm sure like self driving car companies have already kind of thought about this, but maybe they haven't. Uh, these are freebie, and I'll just chuck out there for anyone doing self driving car stuff. Um, but every phone has a Wi Fi uh signature. Yeah. Um, and a Bluetooth signature. So it'd be pretty easy to work out that there's a small Wi-Fi Bluetooth signature from a phone. Not from a router, but from a phone near the car. Yeah, so if it was near the car, you could measure the distance um, and you could say, like, even though I can't see this person behind the tree line, um, there is someone there because mm-hmm. I can see a signature from an iPhone. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, so,
0: totally.
2: Um, like, that's the kind of thinking... Like, take like I'm I'm a very sort of practical type of engineer. Like, I like to, you know, before I jump into computer vision and neural networks and all the most complex, beautiful solutions for things, like I, um, I really like to nail down how do we do this, like for a dollar, right? Right. Like, and then scale scale up from there. So, um, and I find in like Silicon Valley, everyone just jumps into the the most extravagant solution because they can, you know, raise a whole lot of money. But maybe that's not what is needed to get into the market, and uh, that's the way we feel about our product. Is like, well, customers are ready to buy it now. It yeah. doesn't need a head of the sleigh, like <laughs> they're going to buy it the same they would their, the competitor product right now. And I'm going to get to market quicker.
0: Yeah. And then
2: after it's in the market, I can look into licensing models. I can look into all the crazy computer vision or reality stuff later. But like, um, but the first point is getting into the market. So um, yeah, it's that lean startup sort of approach, I guess. That's
1: actually really good advice because you're right. I think a lot of people think they need millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars to launch a hardware kind of software um, connected, because you basically launched three products, right? Two hardware, one software as an app, but like, and it's interesting for somebody like yourself to basically openly talk about You don't need tens of millions of dollars to do what you guys did, right?
2: No, not at all. Like, we we raised a million dollars Australian, which would be, like, (laughs) 700,000 US dollars. Got you. Um, And we we returned that entire amount within one year
0: in revenue. Wow.
2: So, it goes to show, like, if you, with a team of eight, we have a team of eight people now full-time. Okay. Um, We were three at the beginning of that, process, but, like... You know just a clarity of thought like um can really like and a small team that just really wants to build something is could can be very effective like um for example, like if you listed out all the functionality of your product yeah and um you, and then you had your con- consumer base and your community online, you just grilled that whole all that functionality and you found that you know there's three things that we we have to do like it has to the camera has to work right sure. the audio has to work. The the alerts have to work. And then there's all these other things which kind of like come like these cool ideas, you know, you have to be really um, sort of religious and say no to like a lot of (laughs) those things and go, no, we're not doing that. Like we're going to do these three things, but we're going to do all one thing and we're going to do it brilliantly. And we're going to use our brand and our community and things that aren't tech orientated to help us get into the marketplace. Um, And like, I feel like brand and you know, uh, like customer equity is like really devalued sometimes in tech companies because you have um, a whole bunch of like engineers who you know brilliant at doing their jobs but don't see it from like the customer's point of view. Make a fantastic product, launch it out into the market, and no one no one's buying it. You're like, oh, what do we do now? So they pump another ten million dollars into it and try to like <laughs>
0: resurrect the market, but
2: at the at the core, like, um, they weren't sort of efficient in saying like no, and you know moving forward with things that every dollar equal to $10 of return. Right. So. It's actually really good advice. (laughs) advice.
0: No,
1: you're right. A lot of people just think that they need to cram as many features as possible into whatever they're building. And you're right. You just need to do a core set of features really well, get feedback and then, figure out which of those which other features to build and they may or may not be some of the features that you thought were going to be important right
2: oh absolutely like you know we were looking into um like video editing suites like for ages and we we're like oh wouldn't it be cool if you know you could see how fast you're going on the video and you know investing all this time and then like i kind of like drew a line in the sand and i said hey guys like the customers actually you know care about this like is this, is this actually something so we built a little like a little app that we'd done it in like a like a video way it, it wasn't actually like built it was kind of like fake you okay. know um and then we did our user testing like went out there did some focus groups all this come back and i was like they don't care about that and it's like yeah. you know why are we spending so much time on it it's like they care about this more like they care about a reliable camera let's 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 you know focus our energy on on doing that and, I think Y Combinator does a lot of this kind of um, back and forth sort of uh, beta testing, user testing stuff, and I think that's why they all have quite brilliant products which come out because um, they deeply involve the customer base as they build it. So,
1: no, that's that's really good advice. So, uh, do you have any other advice for people that are looking to build a hardware software product that clearly talk together? And basically need to seamlessly connect and, and disconnect from each other as, as needed.
2: Yeah, like buy a ticket to Taiwan. Okay. <laughs> get, 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 get over there first. Find what existing technology is there or similar products that maybe other companies have already invested millions of dollars into building. Okay. Right, who was like already developed like a really cool way of like doing what you're doing, but they're, they're almost, you know, fifty percent or you know forty five percent, even twenty percent of the way there, right? With a different right. type of technology, um, then you know build a relationship with that particular uh, manufacturer, so you're not starting from like from scratch. Like you don't never want to start from scratch, I'm like especially especially if you're a you know, startup company, you don't have time to go through like you know big you know, Foxconn style sort of R&D right. process because you just can't afford it. Like, it's not going to happen. So you got to think real lean and you know, get over there, go to Taiwan or if it's China. I, I personally don't work with, um, with China that much, but like uh, my own reasons. But um, in Taiwan, it's fantastic. So go around, um, get a translator. They take you out to all these different vendors. You see all these cool products. You have a lot of hot pot and drink tea in that. Um, and you eventually find you know, the components that, that you kind of see going together. Um, once you have that, then like the whole process of going to market is so much easier. Like, and if you're like, you know, you, you were sitting at a bar today and, and a friend, you're sitting next to a friend, you're like, hey, let's build this like hardware product. Um, go. I, my first question would be like, you know, what's the problem you're really solving, um, okay. and how do we do this in the most simplistic way using like existing sort of tech um to get to the prototype stage and has what's the fastest way we can get to to mass production with it but also how much functionality can we offload into software like um software is fantastic because like rather than re-spinning a um a circuit board which is very expensive yeah um doing app update is Super, super simplistic. Like, so yeah. I'd rather build, I'd rather build like app software every day of the week than redoing firmware or like redoing, uh, so, yeah. you know, like, and I take it back to that original, fit. the original Fitbit with the three little lights, but a fantastic app. Like, that's a great product, like, especially as an introductory uh, product into the market. Like, you know, and I often see like startup companies and like, you know, people I just work with going, Oh, but Apple does this, we can do it because Apple does this oh i've seen it I've seen that happen with Samsung, or I've seen that happen with this other right. this other brand, and I'm like, they have engineering teams, like just for Bluetooth, they have twenty people, sure. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. So, so like um just just because they do it doesn't mean we can um, sure. so like, um, yeah, let's find someone who's done that and use that chip, you know, like <laughs> yeah, um you know that's that's my advice, yeah
1: no i i think that's that's actually really good advice you're right because yeah you you can't really compare yourself to the samsungs or the apples because they literally have chip designers and then like you said yeah they have like (laughs) dozens of people that just work on like one (laughs) little piece of what you're trying to build right yeah
2: Yeah.
1: no it's that's really good advice. i'm
2: sure like you know the just the strap of the Apple Watch had five people on it. You know what I mean? like Yeah, <laughs> I,
1: if not more, right?
2: If not more, like yeah. a huge design firm probably worked on that. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. But um, but when you've got the cash, yeah, sure. like But, you know, that, that type of mentality you need to just throw away, like super quick and go, don't take anything for granted um, on any product um, that you see out on the market, especially from a big brand. Like, the amount of engineering that goes into an iPhone, like, would, would blow your mind, like, if you actually saw it. Um, so, oh, I can imagine. Um, yeah, for sure. Like the new, the new iPhone. Um, was it eleven now? Yeah, eleven. Um, yeah. the one with the three cameras. Like, you know, I remember like all my friends. I'm, I'm a bit of an Apple fan myself because I don't know, I just am. But like, sure. um, we won't we will go down that argument. <laughs> but like, uh, for example, you know, they came out with the new, you know, the three cameras system and the wide angle camera on the back. And I work in camera stuff, and like, I was thinking, like, holy hell, like, how do they fit? Such a wide angle lens it's such a small like yeah. area like' cause, and have that resolution I, I was like mind blown by that, and I was like wow that's that's really sophisticated, like the amount of time that would have went into figuring out how to do that is huge, and then people going, oh but apple hasn 't been innovating for like for years and years, and I was thinking like well, that that would have like just just that step just in that big day' there, huge innovation for um like the smartphone market, um but not seeing it, and like the battery life and the way it charges and the like even the iOS interface is you know, quite brilliant. So, you know, I take everything with a grain of salt. I think uh, expectations of customers are getting more and more aggressive, but they want to pay less and less and less.
1: Yeah, <laughs> so, no, hundred um, percent. Yeah, it's like if you're yeah. if the new iPhone doesn't like hoverboard you to work, it's a yeah, disappointment. Yeah. You're like, wait a second. Yeah. yeah, like to your point, it's like look, they just crammed three cameras into like a very small area <laughs> yes. and built a really yeah. pre- a really good interface
2: around that and
1: your phone lasts all day while you're checking your email and on social media exactly like like,
2: you know what do you do like you go on instagram you might go on like facebook for a bit check your emails and do some phone calls like does it do that yeah does that does that amazingly like yeah (laughs) we're so spoiled like yeah you like we are like it's you know um you barely even see like you go to indonesia or something or even Taiwan, like, barely anyone has iPhones. They're just, like, un- unachievable, like, financially. Right. Um, so, like, and in the Western world, we have all these, like, brilliant plans. We get them for, like, zero dollars and all of it. So, um, and then we still complain about them. It's like, well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah.
1: No. I... Like,
2: you see someone in a, McDonald- a McDonald's with an iPhone 11. He's, like, yep. a 16-year-old kid. You're like that's not possible in a lot of countries.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. Um, That, yeah, yeah. that's it. That is, we do take a lot of stuff for granted in in North America and we are spoiled (laughs) in in a lot of ways. And like, I I, like my day job, like I actually work in tech as well. So like the amount of devices I have is insane. And people are like, Oh, like what what phone do you use it's just like don't ask that question because i have a different device all the time <laughs> like it's
2: just yeah, it yeah, it yeah i've got i've got all of them like yeah the I honest, know. Because i'm to develop on all, on all of them but exactly. i just like my my go-to my home phone is an iphone yeah <laughs> Like exactly.
0: it's, a, yeah. it's
2: almost like the, the it's like oh but it doesn't have all these features of like an android phone and you know i can't customize all this i'm like man i do that all day every day like i yeah. do that you know the most customized stuff, like the entire time. Like when I when I go home, I just want a really simple, uh, like kind of kind of thing to look at. that's you know to be to be very um, sort of vain. Like when I'm at a cafe and I have my iPhone next to my coffee, I am like, oh, like that looks cool. Like like together. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, no, that's fair. I yeah. I totally get that. And then the the other thing too is like sometimes I use like a really old phone, like a really old iPhone, that runs yeah, the yeah. latest <laughs> version, exactly, just because correct. I want to disconnect. Oh. It's like. I just want a phone that I can make some calls, get some text messages, and, like, maybe use WhatsApp and, and like, a couple other apps. That's all I want this weekend or or for, like, a week or two, you know? So it's an interesting – it's interesting.
2: What do you think of those, um, like, phone zero uh, type of products, like those – they're like they're like a phone away from your yeah. your phone to stop your addictions and things like that. Like, do you think that's the right type of approach, or like, should we just be more sort of conscious about the use of our phones? I,
1: I think for me, my answer is just use one of those older, slower phones that I could still access anything that I need to access. If I if I'm out and about and I really need something, I can get that app and it's going to work. I find. Those Mm -hmm. phones – and maybe it's just like a fear for no reason that I need to be able to access something. But I find with like an older iPhone or an older Android phone when I use those, it's like if I need to send somebody a file or do something, I can still do it. But like I have to make the effort to install that app or the phone's really slow for a while so I don't really (laughs) want to do it. I like second guess whether I can wait until I'm back at home and just like use a computer. But I, I don't know. I. I think we're kind of too early on in that, and I also think most people just have a device, and they they the screen time stuff, or or they like digital well being on Android. They just like lock stuff out, and I think it's kind of see what people need to do, but I right. think. Most people can't afford more than one device, right? And it's kind of stupid to carry two phones as somebody that's carried two phones before. It's a pain. It's a yeah, real uh, pain. Birthdays. Yeah,
2: <laughs> this doesn't fit in your pocket correctly, especially if you ride a motorbike or something. Yeah, um, so... Yeah, you look like you have a tumor coming out of your leg. Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly, right, so... Oh,
2: but, last thing I want to kind of ask as well is, like, it's a different topic, actually. Um, sure. Yeah, what's your, what's your, uh, what's your favorite uh, invention? Because I have a really wacky one.
1: My favorite invention...
2: Like, like of know, all time, um, yeah. Like of all time, like yeah.
1: And does it have to be hardware or software?
2: No, no. It could be. No, it doesn't have to be hardware. It Doesn't have to be software. Uh, it can be anything, right? Uh,
1: for me, it, it has to be the internet. I, I know that's like probably like a crappy answer, but my entire <laughs> that's a good
2: answer. That's a, that's a good thing. Yeah.
1: But like, I, I guess the only reason I say that is because like everything I do, from my job to Basically, like devices and being connected, like I'm always online, and and I think for me, like like I I'm, I miss it. Like after I can go maybe a week tops, like seven days, and like day by day three or four, I am itching so bad to get back online. It, it's that mm. that for me is is probably maybe a cop out. Oh, I can't answer, really do my job sure.
2: correctly without it. You know, yeah, if you had to use pigeons or or something like that, you exactly, know, it'd be quite terrible. How, yeah, it's just like, oh, you know, I want to send this email to Intel. And you're just like, you're whistling for a little pigeon and you, exactly. you wrap something around its leg and like kick it out there and wait seven days and hope it didn't cheat by a hawk. Like, I, I could understand, but the internet is very important. Well, and
1: I remember um, not having it, right? And then remember getting on it early on, like in the early, early 90s, getting on it when it was like kind of a first kind of early, early dial up. So for me, that's probably uh, that. what about yeah.
0: you? <laughs>
2: Yeah, like, um, you know, I remember, like, the first time I got the internet on like, this old compact computer and yeah. massive modem, and I had this reel, like, in my house, and it was like a, you know, like a 20 meters of, of cord um, of ethernet that, that, yeah. that I'd have to go downstairs, disconnect my house phone. Plug that in, reel it upstairs at like three in the morning, very quietly. Um, <laughs> then go up, connect it up to, to to the computer, and then this horrendous dial-up noise would kind of you know come through the motor through the house, and my dad would wake up and be like,
0: "You're not looking at pornography." I was like, "Oh no!" no. So, so, <laughs> you know,
2: I remember the the good old, the good old days, like you know, floppy drives, and um, you know, I was always thinking like, do you know, do the younger, like much younger generation, know that the save icon is not a save icon, but it's actually a floppy drive? Yeah, I think so, most don't. Like, that <laughs> they don't, right? Like, I I talked to someone before, and was like, "What's this?" Like, I just drew a picture, and they're like, "That's the save icon." <laughs> like, yeah. that's a floppy drive. <laughs> it's Like, what's a floppy drive? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, back to um, back to my my invention. Yeah, i um, I think the pool noodle. The interesting is. <laughs> is a stroke of genius like for so, sure agreed um, interesting you know, choice you, you know the, you know the story
0: do
2: you, do you know the story of like how how it no. came into existence and i don't know if it's a myth but like you know this is a story i know um so there was a big extrusion company uh and they were making this installation for uh for piping i don't know what country this is in. And that was very terrible insulation. So the company was kind of going bust, making these like extruded foam things okay. in, in like um, like bright blue colors and stuff. Like, you know, it just wasn't working. So they were kind of going bust. So the CEO um, put a whole bunch of them in his car one day, um, took them home. He was like so angry at these like extruded pieces of pipe, he just chucked them all in the pool um, at his kids, and they all started like playing with them. And <laughs> and he thought, wait a minute. You know, I I let's let's make that into a toy, like a kid's toy. Um and I think like a similar story with Hula Hoop, but like um, you know, now that's like a billion dollar piece sure. of IP and no one even really notices it. And I was like, That's such a genius thing. Like and, and when when someone comes to me in a bar and they're like, you know, um, I have a great idea, can I tell you what? And I'm like, Is it poor little good? Like is it, <laughs> is it something that you know, is it, is it so simple? Like, how can, can you build a billion dollar business with a, with something that does essentially nothing,
0: yep. right? Like, you know, interesting. Um,
2: cause I think that that's like just genius. It's like, that's like such a, like, um, you know, no fuss. Like that's, that's lean startup to like the most like <laughs> degree, right? 100%, um, so, interesting. Yeah, anyway.
1: No, I think that's great, man. But uh, how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and, and when you're coming to the US?
2: Yeah, so um, if you go to Foresight com uh, F-O-R-C-I-T-E um, for Foresight, um, you'll be able to see the product, what we do. Uh, we also have a YouTube, YouTube channel, so if you type Foresight into YouTube, uh, it'll come up and you can see our race events and everything we do. Um, we'll actually be launching a Golden Gate uh, edition uh, at a motorcycle store here in San Francisco, um, probably around June, June, July period. So just as your summer comes in um, the golden gate edition, will have the um, golden gate bridge like, on a little logo on the back of the helmet. And we're also looking into how we can build an exclusive SDK for like the first thousand people who uh, buy that uh, also doing like, you know, a couple of week delivery rather than you know monthly pre-order sort of stuff as well for that. So if you are interested in that, drop on our website even our Facebook page Um, drop me a line we'll push you on the list and make sure you come to those events and check it all out let's see a demo
0: so yeah
1: very cool man well I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day man
2: thanks a lot Um, see you later man thanks bye
0: Bye. thanks for listening please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community Sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at ElectricMantra.com and keep building the future.